the technology is enabled by that soldier in the middle. It doesn't replace that soldier in the middle. But to keep that synergy between the commands, because ultimately, you know, no egos involved, we are delivering readiness and overmatch. Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sanisbert of the Mad Scientist team, and I'll be joined in just a moment by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter at ArmyMadSci or subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, we're talking with General Gary M. Brito, Commanding General of the U.S. Army's Training and Doctrine Command. We'll be talking with General Brito about synchronizing modernization across the Army, critical aspects of modernization that are crucial to shaping the fighting force, and how changes in the operational environment affect this process. As we approach the 50th anniversary of the all-volunteer force, General Brito will discuss these topics and more and continue this conversation at his fireside chat at AUSA Global Force on March 28th. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. Thanks for joining us, sir. Hey, good morning, team. Good morning, Luke and Matt. And thank you for having me. I'm excited about this opportunity. We really appreciate it, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, sir, for those listeners outside the Army, and we have quite a few, what is the Training and Doctrine Command, and why is it important to the Army and larger Department of Defense? Sure. Well, thank you. Uh, for one, I would like to add that I feel very fortunate to be in this command, and I, a non-doctrinal term before Peter, have been in TRADOC several times, so really happy to be on the team. But in essence, the Training and Doctrine Command, formerly known as TRADOC, is the Army's force generator. And using my terms, a non-doctrinal term, and for what it's worth, we are that first layer of bricks in building readiness for the Army. All three components. Our basic job, if you want to look at it that way, is to assess you know, the very best, acquiring, both enlisted and officers as well, and civilian professionals, and we work with them as well, uh, training the most lethal soldiers, uh, developing lethal soldiers and professional leaders throughout their career timeline or career-long assessment, and providing that connective tissue that helps guide Army culture and shape the future. And those last two are very important because without the culture, you're not going to have the cohesion, dignity, and respect that our soldiers and families deserve, so we need that. And the Shape the Future Force is very important in working with Army Futures Command, the Joint Force, and other services as well. That is key. And all that fits into that first layer of bricks uh, that our command has responsibility for. So in all of that, we acquire, train, develop, guide, and shape for our United States Army and the Joint Force. Sir, that's great. And um, you know, as someone who is a DEVCOM employee but has been working here on site at TRADEC headquarters for for uh, coming up on seven years now, you know, it really was illuminating for me to see what TRADOC actually does. Because coming from the the R and D world, I only saw them. I only thought of training, but there's so much more to it. Um, and and so it's it's been great to be a part of this team, uh, sir. You've served in the U.S. Army for over three decades. So with that experience, how have you seen the modern battlefield change? And conversely, what characteristics have endured? You know, I, I would like to add, um, if you can just kind of follow a graphic, although we're talking here is a soldier and the centerpiece. So despite what you give that soldier, uh, they, we leverage the technology, 
the technology does not replace that soldier or the civilian professional. I can go back to my second lieutenant days when we, you know, we had not the very, not always the best equipment, but it evolved over time. But that soldier in the middle, despite his or her rank, was that pacing item for the United States Army. So what was the basic Humvee became a better Humvee. What was the M13 became the Bradley fighting vehicle. I could take you back to airline battle doctrine. You know, developing the tank, developing the helicopters, and all of those have evolved over time to include our command systems, our network systems, to where we're at today. As a matter of fact, in the field that you work in, you see all of that. But the technology is enabled by that soldier in the middle. It doesn't replace that soldier in the middle. Makes us better at fighting, makes us better at load-bearing equipment that he or she may be carrying or driving, and the ability to talk extended distances and shoot extended distances. So the basics of the, the basic blocking and tackling that the soldier enables is leveraged by the technology. The technology is leveraged to make him or her better at our fight. Now, you know, we had some doctrine in, in decades ago, the Big Five, which bought some of those pieces of equipment I talked to, well, A-Land Battle Doctrine. You fast forward a little, well, several decades, your Army Operating Concept, which was just a couple years ago, not uh, as a matter of fact, and now we're into the multi-domain operations. All the technology, my words, wrapped around that to enable that soldier in the middle. And you can pluralize lack of a better word, the soldier to the squad, platoon, the battalion, whatever the formations we have today. But that technology has made us better at giving the simple overmatch that we need of our enemies, whether it was in 1960, in the 70s when the Big Five and Alien Battle came up, or 2023, and we have our multi-domain operations to give us the overmatch we need. I'm not talking equal fight here. The overmatch that we need to be able to defeat our enemies, period. Something I've also had personal experience with both as a captain, a lieutenant colonel, and then later on as a one and a two-star, was being assigned at our two stateside CONUS Space Combat Training Centers, the National Training Center twice, the Joint Readiness Training Center a second time as a, as a commanding general after a previous assignment. And actually, the CTCs is one of those things that evolved as we went into alien battle doctrine and, and further. And, and, and watch those training centers clearly improve the collective training and combat readiness of all of our units that rotate through them with a light, armor, doesn't matter, as a collective force and the individuals. Couldn't be any better. And those combat training centers continue to evolve. If I continue to pull on that, back to our TRADOC mission, uh, we have a very big part of that. And the connective tissue across all the Dotland PF, and I won't bore you with the acronyms, you're very well aware of them, but if I picked a single piece of uh, technology or equipment, the connective tissue and the integration and the synchronization that must take place on all the Dotland PF is a major responsibility of this command, uh, Training and Doctrine Command. So identifying the doctrine that may be connected to a new next-generation tank or future aircraft, that has to start way to the left. Working with the Army G3, the Futures Command, and others, on the organization, the, the big M material, all that has to happen to the left. The leadership development, and a very hard lift is demanding, uh, the manning of it. So if I know, I'll just for illustration pick our Air Defense Battalion in five, ten years from now, a responsibility we have is identifying the leaders and the soldiers and the skill sets that may be needed for that formation in the future. Hence that last comment I, I brought up uh, about guiding the working shape in the future force. It's a very deliberate, should be, a uh, very deliberate process, hard. And to put it in simple terms, that connective tissue is largely a responsibility of training doctrine command, working with the Army staff, Joint Force, Futures Force, Com, and others. Uh, and AMC, everybody has a piece of it. 
And when you don't pay attention to the synchronization of all of those, you kind of get disconnected a little bit. It could cause some challenges. So our Army's done very, very well at it, and will continue to. It's maintaining integration and harmony, for lack of a non-doctoral term, of synchronization between all of those. Uh, very, very important. Excellent insights, and it helps us think about a lot of times there's uh, an obsession with certain stuff or things or technology and material required and, and um, procured. And I think that we've seen from the Russia-Ukraine conflict right now that uh, in spite of a lot of the technology and, and changes in the modern battlefield for that, uh, the human has remained very central to all of it. Um, the combination of leadership, the training, uh, development, um, really Ukraine has been training for this for, for the better part of a decade since uh, the initial fights in eastern Ukraine and Donbass and Crimea. And so with that, but we've also seen uh, an increase in the speed or the pace of battle on that battlefield. And so with that, and this constant evolution, how have those changes to the modern battlefield and, and really to the character of warfare, how has that impacted TRADOC and how the armies has approached, as you as you termed before, really shaping the future force? Well, certainly for one, if I could, could back up a tad bit and just looking at the current operations and things that are taking place in, in Eastern Europe and other places of the world, and specifically a responsibility we have for, to collect lessons learned study, uh, things that may be taking place in the nature of war and character war, all that needs to feed into how we train, which our, our institution, our organization has a big part of it. And quite frankly, I wouldn't even expect the, the young private or the second lieutenant that's going to his or her bullock or, or basic trainer to know uh, how we will look at those operations and infuse that into the training, professional education. The G2 has a very big role in the, uh, the scenarios that feed into the combat training center rotations. So all of that is, is a responsibility we have. And then working with forces commander, any, any other elements that may be out there, of course, the other theaters as well. So all that is, is extremely important. I do think it's important to uh, measure the effects of technology, modernization, new material, and not that it's being overestimated or underestimated, but the impacts on all the domains. If I were to take us back 25 or 30 years ago, we were very much focused on a ground fight and, of course, some artillery, some other things. We now know it's very vertical, it's very horizontal, a multi-domain threat, hence the new doctrine we have now. So all that has to be weaved into our level of work from the sessions of the second lieutenant and the private all the way through the professional education that the, the new colonel, the new general, new sergeant major is going to get. So all that's ex- extremely important. And to learn, not just learn a lesson, but apply what is learned into a new doctrine, the way we fight, our leader development, the whole piece. Uh, I could throw some some revolutionary doctrine out there. Our war college is another study, all that. Uh, very proud of, of the involvement the command has had with other commands and some of the experiments that are going on across our Army to, one, test the technology, uh, test the effects that we want, test the experiment with the convergence of those effects, and all of that feeds directly into our ability to fight and win and redeploy in a multi-domain operations environment. So I've kind of given a blue picture. It's also is as important to understand the red picture and how he or she, our adversary, is going to do that as well. In some cases, they may have a faster way to bring technology. I'll bring small uh, UAS or swarm technology in there. 
off the shelf. You can do it quickly. Acquisition processes may be different, but still, we still need the overmatch to, to defeat it. Not just a training and doctrine command issue. It's a joint issue. It's an army issue, but the, our command has a big piece of it. And to tie it back to trade-off, it really explains to, to me the magnitude of the mission. Uh, when you have this new technology, you have this new doctrine how we fight, you have these new organizations, you can bring it right back to one of the opening statements of that first layer of bricks on building that combat readiness to enable uh, the combat readiness that our Army needs. So it, I couldn't underscore, and obviously very committed to the organization, and in, in, in seeing how important it is, but the modernization, the readiness, weaving in of the people, not only from the acquiring them, but training them throughout their life cycle, whether it's four, 10, or 20 years is necessary. And, and again, my terms, the connective tissue, the glue that brings all that together, is the, the bold underlying portion of, our, of the mission statement for this command. So you made it abundantly clear through a couple of your answers um, that modernization is recognized as critical to shaping a fighting force that can compete and win in this complex operational environment where we're going to be challenged across all domains. Um, and we've also kind of talked about how modernization sometimes can be thought of as technology or material or things, but it's, it's, it's much more than that. So how, how can we achieve modernization in a multitude of the other aspects of .mil PF. How can we get that to, to go across those? Well, uh, in, in a sentence, and I, I'll say a simple sentence, but this is actually pretty, pretty complicated in execution. Integration and synchronization across all the .mil PF. So in any, I'll call it a problem statement, or any, inter, any engagement, anything you take on, look at it through the lens the best we can on all the .mil PF. So I'll give an example. We have the very best kit or vehicle that I'm going to issue to a said unit. Whether that unit exists, just for, for illustration purposes, the one to be developed in, a, in a 2030. So not only do I want to enable the best training, development, modernization of many systems, I'll get to that last point in a moment, but if you, if you look at it in separate uh, lanes, swim lanes, one of those swim lanes may get ahead of the other. Uh, so I'll, I'll just use material as an example. So if that takes off and it's ready to deliver next week, and the rest of the stuff isn't, has not even started, you're going to have a problem. And that is our issue, working with the other commands as well. Not to say that that happens. Uh, some, sometimes it has to when you look at budget and, and the speed of technology, kind of like the iPhone. There'll be a new update next week. So you want to stay up with that. So the modernization of equipment and, and stuff is, is one thing. I would like to add you can also modernize our processes, which are critical. Uh, I'll just pick recruiting, which is a big issue right, right now in 2023, 2022 to 2023, and it may be in the future. So also part of a big mission for the command in support of the Army is modernizing our processes for enlisted sessions, officer sessions as well, people management, working closely with the Human Resources Command and others. So those intellectual processes also have to be modernized to enable us to assess, train, develop, guide, and shape. It's essentially the playbook that allows the team to continue to win, get the touchdowns, home runs, whatever you want to call it, with the very best equipment that they have. And what I have seen in just the, I guess, six months of this command and, and in pre previous assignments in TRADOC as well, if you don't modernize what was legacy systems to match the overmatch that we need, to match the technology, to match the threat, the command and the Army in essence, will be behind. Unrelated to TRADOC, 
But I know our Army has done this, and it has been doing over the last couple of years as a 21st century talent management process to bring an industrial age process into the future. We, we are doing the same on our management of uh, integration of the, of the non-material Dotland PF, support of the material within the Dotland PF formula, and the same with our sessions processes, training processes, the whole bit, bringing them in, modernizing them, for lack of a better term, and what was a legacy, legacy systems that worked that just need to be brought into the current environment to match the current threat, enable us to be better uh, for lots of good reasons. I think those are fantastic insights, sir, and really several historical examples to kind of support what you're saying in terms of you mentioned the Big Five earlier, and the Big Five likely would not have been as successful in terms of when we think about the 1991 Gulf War if it weren't for the fact that formations and force structuring changed around those systems. The manning and the training for those soldiers, warfighters, commanders, and leaders for those systems, and then how they were employed conceptually made a big difference, as you mentioned, in air land battle before. So I think there's a lot of support for that, and even to the lessons learned from the Yom Kippur War. Yeah, 73, um, yep. it, While there was um, successes in intelligence, there were successes in uh, use of systems in those in that conflict, but also one of the things was that they focused on the Israeli officers were really trained to operate semi-independently in situations where they didn't have a lot of information. So I think your point, again, getting back to that that human, the soldier, the leader, as the fabric between all of those different things. If I could pull on it just a little bit, I, I, I appreciate you bringing it up, and I, that is ex- clearly one of the strong suits of our United States Army and our U.S. military. Uh, one, have a very competent, well-trained, non-commissioned officer corps. Uh, warrant officers that are deep in their skills, uh, technical expertise. Officers that are trained from their second lieutenant all the way through, and the same with lethality of the soldiers. But to your point, we're also in, in training the decision-making or scenarios that allow uh, for training risk. It's training. So when they're in a real-world situation, they can operate independently without being force-fed intelligence or force-fed conditions that make him or her a better leader or, or a better organization. Clearly a strong suit of, of our, our United States military. And some of our technology enables that. You know, handhelds, uh, intel devices, other, other things that enable that level of decision-making and uh, independent execution. Uh, I would like to mention you have that at the far end, but we also have to, and this is very much weaved into uh, the training that we provide, train, TRADOC, at all echelons, to include our uh, Mission Training Command Program, uh, uh, MTCP exercises, is to, and I share this with off new lieutenants all the time and new soldiers all the time, is be a master at your basic skill sets. Master your basic skill sets. And you have that first layer of bricks, you can build off of it. I'll expect you to be able to do land navigation whether you have a GPS or a compass. I expect you to be able to engage a target with your rifle or a GPS laser of something. So master the basics of your skill set, and you have that first layer to grow off of. Our command owes that to all the commands that we provide soldiers to, regardless of the component. We owe that to you, whether it's the, the private or the lieutenant. And, and that just feeds into the readiness that all the ACOMs are expected to be able to execute for our Army. 
Absolutely, sir. And Matt will roll his eyes, but I always bring up a football reference. And uh, Chuck Knoll, who is the coach of the uh, Steelers dynasty for the Steel Curtain, always talked about teaching the fundamentals better than anything else. And it was always the fundamentals, the blocking and tackling, that led to that great success. And if you could do that perfectly and you could do it consistently, and I think um, that gets back to all about teaching and training and readying, as you noted. Um, and, and that's what we do, uh, or rather, Tradoc does across the Army. Well, you know, the Chuck Nolan analogy is a comparison is a good one. I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan, so we can go to another team as well. But <laughs> r- regardless, I, I would like to note that our, our centers of excellence, which have a big, big piece of that, I've, I've challenged them when, when someone graduates, uh, whether it's a trainee out of his basic training or OSIT or AIT, or lieutenant or a captain coming out of his captain's career course, you know, when that certificate is signed, pass the mirror test and know that I have given him or her what she needs at this level to contribute to the readiness of the Army. And I say this level because you have basic, you have uh, initial military training for officers, your staff sergeants come back for another school, they might graduate the master gunner course. I am comfortable, and when I've signed that, that certificate, that they have mastered the training objectives within that certain level, and when they go off the forces, command, Hawaii, whatever they're going, he or she is ready. And that, that's a big responsibility. It is a huge responsibility. You feel good about it. And that, that's, if I did nothing else, we will deliver that. Absolutely, sir. And that, that training and dedication is paramount. And it's a good segue to another question we had, which is modernization You know, really gets a lot of attention, rightfully so, not only in the DOD, but just across the national security ecosystem. However, there's an operational force that has to be continually trained and prepared to a certain level of readiness. So how does the Army then balance training readiness and modernization well it's uh, it's clearly all those all of those to include people are weaved into the priorities for our, our chief of staff and our secretary and, and you you can't pull them apart you shouldn't but to your question it, it's a very very delicate I shouldn't say very very del- delicate balance a delicate balance of which all of that needs to be synchronized now our offer up uh, with a very good plan and this is graduate level work you know the commands talking to each other you can modernize and test equipment at the same time that you're training and the same time that you're building readiness. And I've seen that at one end or the other uh, over the three-plus decades of, of service to include testing capabilities and, and, and concepts, which could be fighting concepts, with new equipment at our combat training centers. I'll give you an example I personally lived through. Now in our acquisition processes, planning soldier touch, touch point milestones of training with new equipment. And a soldier will tell you in a minute, you know, I, I know you thought this was going to work, but it isn't. And then weave that back into the modernization acquisition process. And then some experimentation. Our trade had a very big role in the recent project convergence experiments. I work with Army Futures Command. That tested some big capabilities in support of joint operations and Army operations. So I would think you can easily, well, I shouldn't say easy because nothing's easy, but work that synergy in the modernization, uh, technology, and training. And broadly, if you wrapped around that, everything I just told you is not just trade-off as a big piece of it, but working with the other commands as well. And we actually owe all of that. Uh, our, our commands owe that to the secretary, to the chief, and hence uh, Department of Defense to get to that readiness. I'm probably going to give you a long answer, but it's important here. Many decades ago, Captain Brito was at the National Training Center as an OC, 
And we saw technology come in. It was about the size, a little bit bigger than that dry erase board, mid-90s. A technician came in and said, this thing is going to give your command post full, full visibility of what's going on. We call it command post of the future. It didn't believe it. And it had wires and everything coming out of it. It was a, a scratchy black and white screen on the back of the vehicle. And that was the beginning of it, 1995. Had no idea what I was involved with. <laughs> a few years later, Major Brito came back on a rotation with 2nd Brigade, 4th Infantry Division, Force 21, uh, testing it. That CPOF was smaller and functional, transportable, combat-ready. Evolved into Blue Force Tracker, evolved into other things we have today. And, and now we have amazing network capability. So I guess my point is, and that's a multi-year demonstration of how you can weave in big ideas to become realities, big ideas tested in training, yet building the combat readiness, and then it becomes as common as your iPhone. Uh, we are much, much faster now. I, I, if you can weave back the soldier touch points, weave back the experimentation, uh, with new technology through our synthetic training environment, which is a large part of TRADOC, the ability to test things at the speed of light, all to maintain that overmatch that we need of our adversaries at one spectrum and laid underneath that, mastering your basic combat skills. And training doctor command has a big piece of that, along with our other commands. I've probably given you a very long answer, but it's an illustration of how it can work and, and has worked. No, that's great, sir. And actually, speaking of the other commands, you know, this is something I want to I want to ask you about. The Army is a huge organization, uh, half a million active soldiers in the force, and we have four Army commands with four-star leaders, nine Army service component commands. So speaking of those other commands and how we can't do this without them, how do you have to balance that approach of, of modernization here at TRADOC, but also among the other four-star commands? Leadership, communications, transparency. Uh, I didn't rehearse that answer, actually. I just thought about it. Uh, now, we owe that. Us four-star commanders, so command sergeant majors, three-star staff on down, we owe that to our secretary-in-chief, who have been very clear on their priorities and very clear on the secretary's priorities. And uh, someone told me as a brand-new second lieutenant, if you just listen, it's pretty easy sometimes. So listen to the priorities and kind of sync the rest of it together. So I won't call it a challenge. It's just daily work that you need to do with each other, you know, talk, How's this working, or how's this not working, or how can we help each other, or how can we synchronize these, in, these initiatives? And then also the, the maturity to be transparent on things that might not be going well. Like um, I'm having recruiting challenges now. The following, the ship is slow, so we can't train this. I'll get, just throw some examples out. But to keep that synergy between uh, the commands, because ultimately, you know, no egos involved, we are delivering readiness and overmatch for the Army, and with multi-domain operations, it's important because that feeds into a strong capability uh, to, to fight jointly, which is, which is very much necessary. And sometimes with civilian organizations as well. Uh, so that's key. An overused term, but I can say now, and, and it has been in the past and will be in the future, that we have uh, – there should be no light between commanders uh, that are helping our, our secretary-in-chief with their priorities with, uh, that are very, very clear right now. Budget, all that needs to be weaved into it. Staff processes and things that happen need to be weaved into it. But leadership, transparency, uh, communications, and there's trade-offs with that. And then help our, and our command has a huge part of it, helping this, the most senior leaders with options uh, to make critical, important decisions that keep us in a position of overmatch with our adversaries, 
keep us in a position where we have the strength we need for combat readiness and mastering the combat skills and all that's key. That's perfect. And if if you're listening now, you can hear we're at the stroke of nine o'clock now, thanks to the church out there. Yes, we rehearsed that. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you know, we tend to think in terms of American exceptionalism, and actually the military can be somewhat optimistic that we're going to meet the mission because so often we always meet the mission and do everything possible to get there. But what happens if we, the U.S. Army, get modernization, or at least the synchronization of that modernization, what happens if we get it wrong? Well, there's, there's always a risk, and uh, I've been guilty of rose-colored glasses a lot. I think it's important that uh, we have that, but with a dose of reality to, to, again, give proper decisions, give options for things. So you could look at the, the 200 years plus of history. There are times we get it wrong. There are times we get the assessment of the adversary wrong. And we're just going to have to be maintain the flexibility, the versatility that our Army has always had. And, and we will always kick butt and win, and, and the joint force will. But both those, those things will happen. To, to, to your question, though, is not being so rigid that you can't adapt. And then, again, bring, bring in the technology if, if it's necessary, um, the basic blocking and tackling, which I want to come back to. I Actually, I want to come back that, to it now. If that foundation, that first layer of bricks is always there, and quite frankly, I do think it's the sole responsibility of us in delivering that to the other commands. When I say us, training and doctrine command, with that basic level of combat readiness, uh, physical fitness or moral fitness, mastering your basic skill, you can grow to any capability that you need. You have to have that basic thing. Uh, I'll use your Pittsburgh Steel as an analogy there. In their training camp, they mastered the basics of their playbook, which could enable future game winning. Same for us. Uh, you need to look at it that way. Are we going to get it wrong sometimes? Heck yeah. You know, Will our adversary get it wrong sometimes? Heck yeah. I hope so they do. But we'll continue to, to, to watch that. Our TRADOC G2 Enterprise does a very good job at understanding our adversary, but that is fed into development of combat readiness for our army and, and then the support our joint force uh, very much needs. So will we get it wrong sometimes? Will it not go fast enough sometimes? Yeah. But not looking at where we need to be is even a bigger mistake. And I, I'm confident that a United States Army, with TRADOC being part of the team, will keep on that horizon, working with our industry partners as well, which is critical, to ensure we have that overmatch that we need. So I'm, I'm rose-colored glasses. Absolutely, sir. And I think you make a, a great point about the criticality of getting those basics and fundamentals right, because there are certain things that you can catch up on. It's similar to when we've talked in the operational environment about demographics. You can't fix that overnight. You can't um, you can't train an NCO Corps, as many of our adversaries have found out. You can't train an NCO Corps in a couple years. Yeah. It takes decades to build that strong NCO Corps like the United States Army and the overall Department of Defense has. So I think you make some Excellent points there, sir. So, sir, we're going we're gonna to kind of wrap up our initial questions to you on the modernization and synchronization. Do you have any final thoughts on that before we move on to our rapid-fire questions? Well, it's uh, more than just material, and I, I know our entire enterprise knows that. So in modernizing the Army, you, you, you look at material processes. Clearly, the integration of all the Dotland PF, the integration of the non-material issues, is a very big part of the trade-out mission. But as I mentioned in previous discussion, also— how we do that, 
how we assess, how we train, how we execute professional military education, how we can leverage technology, speed, uh, current formations to just continue to be better. Not to suggest that you're, not, you're bad, but to continue to be better to give us that over, overmatch that we need. There's, there's, and just maintaining speed and momentum because our adversaries and, and, and global threats simply demand that. Absolutely, sir. I think this is a really important message um, that it, that's important to get out right now. You know, we're always we're always drawn to the shiny object, and we need the shiny object. The soldiers need their material. They need their things. They need technology. But it's not just that. You know, it's everything else that goes along with it, helping them use those items when they're out there in the battle. So, sir, we want to thank you for talking about this issue. We're going to transition now to our rapid-fire questions. So we always ask these questions to all of our guests. They're always the same. They let us know a little bit about the person behind the answers here. Sure. So the first question is, what's a trend or a technology that keeps you up at night? Yeah, I actually uh, have given some thought to that, despite this podcast. <laughs> and it's actually not a technology. Uh, in all seriousness, it's not a technology that keeps me up at night. I think it was the beginning of the podcast today. I mentioned the soldier in the middle regardless of their rank, regardless of the gender, all that doesn't matter. You know, he or she volunteered for one of our 50 states and territories. So that's what keeps me up at night. Uh, right now we are having, and it's known publicly, some accessions, enlisted accessions challenges. My staff is very tired of hearing it, but we're going to turn those challenges and are turning those challenges into opportunities to bring in that best volunteer soldier still and ensure that he or she gets the best training that she needs to be plugged into that first layer of bricks. So that's what keeps me up at night. Because whatever the technology is going to be, you need that soldier in the middle that will leverage the technology to be a better warfighter. So that keeps me up right now. The numbers are relatively stark on where we started the fiscal year, and we're turning that tide with some great leadership within TRADOC. But I would like to highlight many of our successes. And enlisted accessions lane right now are a whole Army effort. I mean, senior leaders involved going to high school graduations and speaking events. Uh, Forces Command, USAPAC, AMC, AFC, everybody in the fight with us. It's something just pushing some of the initiatives, which are being spearheaded largely within the TRADOC and USAREC, but it is an Army fight to turn the ship, and we are, because we see the importance of it, to to have not only their numbers but the warfighting capability now and, more importantly, uh, as we go into the future formations and future capabilities that we need to have. So if I had to pick one, it's that. Uh, a, a great answer the soldier is is the Army's built on that volunteer soldier. And I, and I, I didn't expand. I, I mentioned how the other commands are assisting because it's an Army effort here. It's uh, reconnecting to America, using what is positive and, and a lot of positive things from soldiers who have served, whether it's four years, 20 years, our veterans, talking to parents and others to, to showcase all that's great in the Army, the 150-plus specialty skills we have. All that's critical. COVID impacted things a bit, but, you know, that's an enemy we dealt with. <laughs> so we're going, going beyond it. So all, all that is key. But I'm, I'm excited. Extreme confidence in my battle buddies and our team. We'll turn this to deliver what our chief and secretary needs. I greatly appreciate that answer, sir, because I think um, what you talked about before of speaking at um, these different universities, high schools, different engagements is a big part of reconnecting society to this force, this all-volunteer force, Um, because I think about it a lot myself as a Navy veteran 
my kids are statistically much more likely to join the force than someone who has not served in uniform. And I think that connection is going to be critical, especially for the force. As you said, going out into the future that we need, we have to start cultivating that now. So I just wanted to say I really appreciate that answer, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, one of our colleagues, Ian Kersey, his mantra is always one team, one fight. And it's not just our organizations here. It's one team, one fight, the whole of the nation. Yes. Thank you. And I concur. So, sir, our second question here is, is what's something about you that you're willing to share on the podcast that most people might not know? Hmm, that's, a, that's a tough one. Uh, well, I, I, a, a hobby I like, gardening. Oh, excellent. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because I can't rush it. That's right, yeah. And my, my life is very fast-paced right now. <laughs> For all the good reasons, <laughs> there's one thing I can't rush. So maybe it's a ther- maybe it's therapy, I don't know. And it was, it was it was a hobby of my mother's as well, so I kind of probably inherited it. But and grew up there, but we had gardens and stuff when I was a kid, and grew our own vegetables. And even in Massachusetts, which it's not always warm, but uh, we we did that as a family. It's kind of our own food in many many respects. But to say that's actually fantastic, yeah. sir. You <laughs> might be able to beat some of the um, inflation that we're dealing with. We'll see. And, uh, yeah. Oh, it and wasn't quite that bad. But we <laughs> we kind of the way it was, you know, and, and some blue collar stuff. Yeah. Good analogy too, as well to cultivating again that future force. Yeah. Um, there are I hadn't certain things about that, that but we I can see it. Yeah. try to speed up, um, but in the end, there is some that has to be deliberate intentional uh, and well thought out. So, sir, you thought that question was a little difficult. We've always heard that our last question is the most difficult. What's your favorite movie? I agree with you. That is the most difficult. You stumped <laughs> me on that one. I have a lot of favorite shows. I can't say if one that I'm probably the only one in the household that has ever watched and it has zero to do with the military. It's this movie called The Five Heartbeats, which came up. Many, it's a musical group from decades ago, and I couldn't even tell you why I liked it. They're probably going to bring some questions up. <laughs> yeah, well, you stumped me on that one. Those are some of the best. Uh, right. You uh, stumped me on that one. We love discovering new movies that we've never heard of before. <laughs> yeah. and this, this It's definitely not new. You might have to. Well, new, new to, to us. us. New to yeah. us. Yeah. 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 But uh, some of those best movies are the ones you don't really quite know why you like it so much. I, I, I don't know, but I just enjoyed it. I'm the only one in the house that does, though. That's it. Me. There's no criteria for what makes the best movie other than what you enjoy the most. Absolutely, sir. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we're really excited. I know you'll be speaking at um, AUSA's Global Force event coming up and really excited to hear that as well and continue to hear your message and really Tradox overall message on how we're going to have to synchronize modernization going forward. Uh, and that is just massively impactful to the future force that we need in order to compete and win in that future operational environment. Well, no, thank you for the opportunity. I think you summed it up well. And uh, so all of the commands, TRADOC obviously being a big player in that, enable our Army to be the combat-ready force that it is and that it needs to be. So I'm very proud to be part of that team and just simply love this command. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guest, General Gary M. Brito, Commanding General of the Training and Doctrine Command. You can connect with Mad Scientist through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, and don't forget to subscribe to our blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating or review on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you accessed it. This feedback helps improve future episodes of The Convergence and allows us to reach a bigger and broader audience.